0: You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security podcast. I'm Nicole, one of your moderators and a member of the committee staff. You can find more about the standing committee online or join our listserv at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity.
1: I'm Yvette. I'm
2: back. Yay. <laughs> Hi, and I'm Elisa, We're your co-moderators.
1: The ABA Standing Committee is comprised of seasoned national security lawyers.
2: The committee has spent the past 55 years keeping lawyers and the public informed about the hottest topics in national security law today. Any legal podcast has disclaimers and ours is no exception.
0: Your other moderators today are national security attorneys here moderating as individuals and not on behalf of their agencies or firms. So the committee presents non-biased information from a variety
1: of reliable sources reliable sources of knowledge are key to true intellectual growth.
2: But if you like getting your news from dubious social network posts of unknown origins, we cannot be helpful. But if you want to grow and learn facts from our
0: amazing guests and get real information through links to the Black Letter Law and articles on today's topic at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity and in the notes to this podcast.
1: So if you like the facts and the law, sit tight. We got you. Let's get right to the issues. Today, we continue our series on private national security law with a journey into space. Law, that is.
2: Star Wars and Star Trek never seem to address the vast amounts of data collected by private companies from outer space.
1: So, what are the national security concerns? Satellites collect nothing more than an aerial photo of ground, right?
2: Apparently not. Our guest today is Kevin Pomfret, a corporate partner at Williams Mullen Law Firm and the co-chair of the firm's... Unmanned Systems Practice Group. Did you know there was such a thing? And the Data Protection and Cybersecurity Practice Group. He'll explain why the two should be linked. Kevin, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: So let's go over a little bit of your bio for our listeners here. You are the founder and executive director of the Center for Spatial Law and Policy, and you counsel businesses and government agencies on the legal issues that arise from the usage storage and distribution of geospatial information, which makes sense because you're a former satellite imagery analyst, is that right?
3: That is correct, yes. I used to, I was worked at uh, NPIC, which is the predecessor for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency back in the 1980s.
1: So, please give us a brief history and a sense of what the objects up there are collecting, um, what kind of images they are, and who's controlling and receiving that collection.
3: So I think there's two broad categories of satellites in space that are collecting information, those that are operated by governments and those that are increasingly growing number of commercial satellite operators. And primarily those are collecting electro-optical imagery of uh, the, the globe, um, which is basically things that we can see with our eyes. but Increasingly, we will see other types of sensors being put up there that can collect other other information, such as radar, infrared, multispectral information that can be used for a lot of different applications. And um, there's been governments have been collecting this information for a number of years back when the U.S. and the Soviet Union were in the in the Cold War, but it's only been in the past 20 years or so that we've seen commercial applications, and that is beginning to explode with the advent of small satellites.
1: Cool. So there's some um, law behind some of these activities, right? Like the Commercial Space Launch Act of 1984? What's that one?
3: Well, there's, there's several sets of laws. Um, many of them are outdated. In fact, yesterday the National Space Council had a meeting down in Florida talking about updating the laws regarding space in general, but including specifically commercial remote spa- sensing satellites. The primary which,
2: which do what for our listeners those,
3: those are the satellites that collect data on the earth from from space. Um, and those are operated by companies and, and don't include uh, satellites operated by uh, governments such as the United States or Russia or China. So there's, there's a growing number of companies that are operating that. If you want to operate out of the United States, you have to get a commercial remote sensing license. From the Commercial Remote Sensing Regulatory Affairs Office, which is based in the Department of Commerce, and there's a specific act, the, the Land Remote Sensing Policy, that was part of the National Commercial Space Program Act, that outlines what the requirements are. Now, the issue associated with that is that because there are a number of national security concerns with remote sensing, there's a whole process that needs to go, be, go yep, need to go through. And that's a challenge because the defense and intelligence communities are still very concerned about commercial remote sensing imagery and what the implications are not only to U.S. facilities but also to troops stationed abroad.
2: Well, sure. We recently heard um, about this Strava application, which I can tell you in my bike group is a favored app and how much information it was collecting on uh, our military forces who are also tend to be fitness nuts, a lot of them. Uh, and we're wearing this thing. Can you sort of explain a little bit what that concern was? And also, if you could also explain these commercial satellites, the small ones that have to go through this process with commerce, just so that for the uninitiated, what kinds of data is it that they're picking up exactly and how is that data used by commercial companies, private companies? So that's
3: really two separate questions. So the Strava app is a fitness app that has the ability to collect through GPS, the Global Positioning System, location information, and the Strava incident highlights the versatility of geospatial information so that it's initially being collected by fitness folks who are doing fitness to plan their routes, to figure out how far they ran, to figure out how long it took, and you can figure out, all, you know, there's a lot of benefits associated with that. But it could also be used, in this particular case, Strava published some heat maps based on where people worked out, and some university academics, I believe, went in and and claimed that they were able to identify where U.S. bases abroad were based because they could see areas that should have otherwise have not been um, inhabited or, or at least have that much activity. There was a lot of activity associated with that, and then they went back, I believe, and looked at imagery to figure out, you know, what was there. So that's one particular set of applications, and and that highlights the other development that we're seeing. So GPS, um, 2000, the Clinton administration changed the the selective availability, so it made GPS a lot more accurate. And for commercial applications, it had always been that accurate for military and defense purposes, but now for commercial applications. And that has led to this growth of satellite navigation devices in your cars or in your smartphones, and also technologies such as fitness apps and all the other location-enabled activities that we're, we're seeing. So you know, my practice and my area of interest is not just commercial-most sensing, which is an important field, but it's geospatial data or geolocation data in general, and that's where the fitness uh, app and the Strava fits into. The commercial-most sensing market, which is satellites that are collecting imagery or other data from the Earth. they because of the miniaturization of technology, because of changes in launch availability, people are putting up much smaller satellites. They're not the exquisite satellites that those in the national security industry or government are familiar with seeing, the high resolution and that the NRO launches, but they're, they're, they're much smaller, they're much, much cheaper. They, you can put up um, several hundred of them at a relatively cheap cost, and you can collect you know, fairly good quality imagery or other data and bring that back to earth at a price that people hope that the commercial market will start to want to use. The applications for that are um, insurance, agriculture, oil and gas, uh, maritime, um, there's a whole host of you know other industries, uh, mining, that are expected to be able to use this information once the technology evolves. And then once we get into um, machine learning, so that you don't need to have individuals looking at this imagery, you can have uh, machines that can detect changes or identify objects that are of concern. So we're in this transition field, or transition, but it, we, are, we are seeing some really exciting technologies and advancements.
1: Can you, uh, can you give us a sense of how many satellites are up there right now, commercial and not?
3: I, can't give, I don't know how many satellites there are, because exactly. there are satellites that are looking at space and, you know, are looking. At, there, there's, there are uh, several thousand satellites up there, many many of which, and I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, that are doing some sort of collection of the Earth. Now, NOAA has satellites that are monitoring weather. We have satellites, the Europeans have satellites that are doing the same things. We have GPS satellites. The U.S. has some classified satellites that we don't, we don't know how many there are up there. But on the commercial side, there are hundreds, uh, many hundreds of satellites that are now up there collecting information. And and I should point out that commercial means not just uh, in the U.S., commercial has a particular meaning, but in other parts of the world, there are other countries that are developing uh, satellites under public-private partnerships, or the definition of commercial is a little bit different than than we have, but they're selling that imagery to the commercial market. So, for purposes of this, it's it's useful to think of them as commercial as rather well than defense.
2: That's fascinating. And to your comment about there being thousands, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I located uh, some data that had been published by the Union of Concerned Scientists, not this year but some years ago, which indicated at that time. There were 1,738 satellites orbiting the Earth at that time, 803 of those from the U.S., 142 from Russia, uh, 204 from China, and that the number was rising. And that of that number at the time, only 500 were commercial. I rather suspect
1: that's gone
3: up. Yeah, that number has increased. There's a company called Planet that has several hundred small satellites up there. And these are as small as a suitcase. Some are not much bigger than um, smartphones that universities will put up there, uh, even high schools I think have applied to, to launch and, and because the technology now allows you to, to, you know, the cameras are good enough to be able to collect and do that. Now, are there national security concerns or privacy concerns or do they have any commercial value? Probably not, but for the students involved it's a fantastic you know, learning, learning process and, and you know it's a, it's, a, it's a really valuable lesson and, and actually is, is good for the government too to sort of develop people who are experts in these areas.
2: So, uh, we talked a little bit about the Strava um, debacle, at least, if, it, if that is correct information, sounds bad, but uh, it also there's also some indication, I think, that they can track people physically and collect information from their home systems, oh, through the Wi-Fi, is there not? And through sort of the Internet of Thing applications?
3: I think we're conflating a couple, a couple different things here, right? So that I wouldn't call the Strava situation a debacle. Okay. I, I think it's I, I, th- I think it's a natural progression of the value of, of geolocation information geospatial technology because it is so versatile. I think it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for the legal and regulatory and policy communities. But I'm not sure Strava did anything wrong. Um, it's not clear that they violated anyone's privacy.
2: Perhaps um, the military, uh, you know, didn't have a policy that anticipated. I guess.
3: I, yeah. Yes. I. I and, and maybe they should. Although my. My feeling is that we tend to overreact with this technology in a lot of ways, and so we and, and not just this technology but a lot of technology so there will be a, a boomerang effect, and we will see some technology uh, responses that doesn't allow you know them to use this information um, but as in a lot of different technologies the benefits there's benefits and risks associated with them and and i can't quantify what that risk is but I do think we need to be careful to not have a knee-jerk reaction because this is something different, either from the national security standpoint or on the privacy side, which is what you're talking about. We we are struggling, and by we I mean the, the law enforcement and national security, commercial industry, and frankly the courts are struggling with this new concept of what's a reasonable expectation of privacy from a location standpoint. Uh, the Supreme Court is, is, you know, considering the Carpenter case regarding the use of um, the ability to get GPS data without a warrant. Um, we had the U.S. v. Jones case several years ago regarding using a GPS tracking device. Uh, we're having a lot of courts and legislatures look at drones and the, abil- the information that they're collecting. The drone is simply a platform like a satellite. You put a sensor on there and you collect information. The difference is we don't see satellites. Manned aircraft have been collecting that information for years, but we've always assumed that they're just flying you know, commercially. But we see a drone, and we don't know if it's our freaky, you know, our, our, our creepy neighbor or the government or an Amazon package, right? And so people tend to react negatively to that. So I do think the legal and policy communities need to catch up. But I worry that, and, and this gets to your point about privacy and tracking, we, we have this bucket of privacy that we put when we have concerns about new technologies, we throw it into that. And it's this big bucket, and we just sort of everyone starts to worry about it but we really need to break it out what it is we're concerned about. So, to your point about tracking, um, I don't think, other than a drone perhaps, you know, literally flying overhead and tracking someone's movement, we're not at a point yet where Big Brother in the in the sky is being able to sort of track someone's, um, where they're moving, right? We don't have satellites doing that yet, we don't have drones doing that yet. Um, we do have more technology now that collects geolocation information from Wi-Fi, from MAC addresses, from other identifiers for our mobile devices. But those are all ground-based uh, things that we're, we're giving you know, to people to use their service, right? And so the question is, are we comfortable with that? And what, what, are the, what are the risks? I mean, there are so many people that talk about location privacy and what the risk is, but um, we, give, we have been years we're giving our location away whether through credit card devices or security cameras Now it's evolving, and we need to figure out in a, I would argue, in a non-threatening or um, emotional way, where where we're going to draw the lines, where the lines need to be. Did that answer your question?
1: I think it did. We have, like, so let's, uh, I'm going to play tinfoil hat for a second. Okay. Right? So we're talking about hundreds of different satellites that are governed by different foreign governments, um, some of them more friendly to us than others. Sure. Why shouldn't I be worried about, you know, like a Chinese or Russian satellite flying over my house or my community or my state or whatever? Like what kinds of information could be useful to a foreign government that they would collect through one of these satellites?
3: Are you wearing your personal hat or are you wearing your national security hat?
1: (laughs) I'm wearing my national security hat.
3: It depends on what sensors they have on there. Uh, you know, right now there are a number of electro-optical systems that are collecting imagery that is very. You know, I, I don't know what the Chinese and Russian capabilities are, but I'm sure it's fairly high quality. But I mean, you can get that on Google Earth, right? So I don't know what additional concerns you're worried about on the electro-optical standpoint to know. You know what the image is now what they're doing with that data and how they're aggregating it and whether they're using it in other ways collecting information from the dark web or other things that that's a concern but that doesn't um, take away i don't think from the value of you know being able to collect that information now there's something called the print u.n principles of remote sensing that the u.s and the soviet union entered uh, back in the 1980s that basically gave everyone the right to, um, you know, to fly satellites or operate satellites and collect information over, you know, around the globe. And there are certain requirements that you need to make the raw data, unenhanced data available to the sense nation. But we have, it's not a treaty per se, but it's an agreement between countries that will allow others to do that. So my response to you would be maybe you would have some concerns from a national security standpoint, but, the U.S. systems are probably better in collecting more information, and so when you're weighing the pros and cons, you need to keep that in, in mind.
1: So you mentioned Google because you you advise big companies that have this these types of satellites, mm-hmm. right? Should be wor- worried about Google?
3: First of all, I don't think I mentioned Google, but I I, 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 oh. I did mention big companies. But okay, we
1: can't. I don't think we could
2: this podcast and not mention Google? Maybe okay. twice or three times? I was going to say, I, 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 <laughs> I mentioned Google I, Earth.
3: I, should we worried, be worried about big companies having this information? Sure. I, I guess to the extent that we're trying to figure out what this big data world means and what what rights we're giving up and what the benefits are, sure, as much as we should worry about other big companies that are collecting information of us from a variety of sources on a regular basis that I won't name any names. Um, <laughs> the fact that it's satellite imagery, I don't think, for me as a former satellite imagery, imagery analyst, doesn't it makes it more valuable because you can you can do things when you see a picture. You can you can brief people. You can make judgments. You can visualize data in a way that triggers responses and gets people to to figure out what's going on because a, a picture is maybe worth a thousand words. But from a privacy, Big Brother context, I'm not sure we're there yet. Maybe someday, you know, if you, if you put other sensors on there that are collecting information. But I think we're, we're a long ways from that.
1: All right. Well, thanks for uh, kind of bringing us back to reality. Maybe we watching too many science fiction movies. I <laughs> <laughs> love the science fiction movies, though.
2: Um, let me, let's just go over for a few minutes, if we could, some uh, black letter law that we can go ahead and place in the notes to our podcast. What would you say are sort of the principal overarching legal structures that govern this space?
3: So from the commercial remote sensing field or aspect, certainly the U.N. principles of remote sensing are something that people should be aware of. In the United States, there's the uh, commercial remote sensing policy uh, that's part of the the National Commercial Space Program Act. Um, there are regulations that were developed from no, NO- uh, from NOAA based on that it's um, 15 CFR 960 and those are those outline the requirements in order to apply for a license from NOAA to o- offer commercial remote sen- to obtain a commercial remote sensing license which any you any company that wants to operate US company that wants to operate needs to get a license to, to do that if you want to operate in the United States um, and so that's an important uh, important piece of, of uh, legislation and regulatory uh, regulations that you need to follow. And I will say that because of the conversations that took place down in uh, Florida, there is an effort to streamline the process to make it easier for companies to uh, launch uh, and operate commercial remote sensing satellites. And I think the office is going to be moved directly under the Secretary of Commerce. The hope is that it will streamline because there are a number of delays in, now in place as people try to figure out with these new technologies what the concerns are, particularly from a national security standpoint. But those are certain at the high level issues that you need to, to follow. Um, if you're looking at other technologies uh, around geolocation information, I think you do need to consider the, um, uh, the Electronic Community Protection Act, um, ECPA. Um, and some of the data that's collected there and how you use it, particularly if you're a government agency. Um, I think the, the general data protection regulation that the Europeans have developed, it for the first time highlights location information as something that is protected information.
2: That's right. Other, yeah.
3: other countries have, have looked at that. Other countries under the directive have applied it to location information, but now the regulation for the first time highlights that. It's not really clearly defined. So a satellite, image, a satellite image is not only an image, but there's a timestamp and there's a lat long associated with it. So you've got location information. It's probably not, or almost certainly not, high quality enough to be able to identify the person, but it can make them identifiable if you want to be able to, you know, use other information to be able to figure out where they are. So that's something I think that, need, that you need to be aware of. And then state laws are developing, particularly around drones. Um, the state of Florida recently passed a drone law that gave, that gave its citizens a um, reasonable expectation of privacy pro- on their property to not have their image collected from a drone, um, provided that they had taken measures like through fences or walls or otherwise not to be seen from the road. Hmm. So, which is, a, which is a really interesting development. Now, there are a number of exceptions to that, as you would, as you would hope and you would expect. But it would, it's the first time that I've seen where someone has said, you have a reasonable expectation of privacy outdoors, and that's, that's a fundamental change that could really have implications for a lot of different industries and for the national security and the law enforcement communities. Um, yeah, to, when you start think... looking, If you look at Jones and some of the other cases about your movement outdoors in terms of where the reasonable expectation of privacy is.
2: It also would appear to confer a reasonable expectation of privacy on people who can afford to do that, who maybe don't live in common dwellings like apartment buildings and who can control their environment. Um, so that may raise some other separate concerns about people who, for example, might occupy public housing and wouldn't have the opportunity to uh, prevent themselves from being seen in what would be their only outdoor space, a common shared area. Uh,
3: yes. I mean, it, it's, and again, there are a number of exceptions there. I don't, I, but, and, I, and it doesn't apply to satellites. It just applies to drones. But it, but it is sort of you know how are we looking at all of these of, of all these issues.
1: So can you give us a sense of where the commercial satellite t- uh, economy is headed?
3: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I think most people expect that small satellites are going to grow in terms of the numbers and the applications. There are some challenges associated with that from a launching standpoint and they raise some national security and legal issues, but the costs associated with them and their functionality and the, ab- the ability to go out and, well, and the, another risk is, is just you know, orbital debris in space and is there enough, you know, they're gonna hit each other, and, and so there's, issues, there's a host of issues associated with it, but I think most people are seeing that we're gonna see more small satellites. I think the other thing we're gonna see, and not just on the satellite side, but on the drone side, are other sensors non-electro-optical sensors, radar, um, LIDAR, thermal imaging.
2: And so uh, to your point though, I know in preparation for this we spoke about the article that Robert Draper had written in National Geographic that emphasized one of the other positive applications probably would be near and dear to That's part, um, which was the ability to track uh, mass migration when people have to flee a country because of war in order to render assistance which is obviously a very, very positive feature of this technology. Well, I think
3: I, I, the the benefits of this, whether it be drones or geospatial information, at the end of the day, we'll realize that the benefits are much greater than the risks. We'll, we will need to protect, put some protections in place, but the, the benefits are fantastic. I mean, I, I just, I, I moved, recently moved to back to the D.C. area, and... Um, the the benefits of having satellite navigation on my phone and be able to know where the traffic is and how to get to places when I left here that wasn't that wasn't the case and it it it's it's a remarkable to me just how how useful it is and that's all that's you know that's maps that's satellites that GPS all coming together in a device and we sort of take it for granted but those are those things couldn't have developed without some of the you know the technologies that we're seeing now.
2: So we always torture with a hypothetical. So let's say that I'm a young lawyer living in mission. Your job here is to advise me, Kevin. I'm trying to make a name for myself with a national security practice, and I, I advise startups. And some of my clients are engineers in the private satellite business, and they want to launch a, launch, sorry, a collection platform to track aspects of human behavior, convert that into marketable data, and sell it to businesses. These women see big, wagging dollar signs in their minds. Um, They also see a chance to validate their scientific credentials, and they love a challenge. They see, of course, venture capital investment. So if I were this lawyer advising these friends of mine on this commercial satellite startup, let's talk about the broad national security issues. I'm focusing here on national security. What should I be worried about? What should I be considering? And what experience should I gain before trying to render advice, effective advice, to these clients?
3: So my experience, and this has gone back some 20 years from dealing with commercial mode sensing startups, is their national security concerns are not at the top of the list. Um, they're interested in, and I had this when I, when I was in-house at a, at a company, he asked me a question uh, the, the CEO of the company asked me a question regarding HR, and I had a host of legal issues associated with it. But he had, to, he had to build a satellite, ship it to Russia at the time to have it launched, and then to execute on a business plan that had never been executed before. And so my concerns about some obscure HR law, and, and I won't put national security into that bucket, but it's, it's kind of close. Are at the bottom of their list right because he's got he 's got business issues to got to raise money he's got he 's got to figure out how to, how to make money right so the advice that I would give to this classmate of yours would be to don 't get too frustrated if when you talk to them about the national security concerns associated with this, if they 're not initially you know okay, we need to worry about this um, where it does get to be an issue and where I do think that, that she needs to focus her her, her time is. One, understanding what they need to get in order to get a license to operate. Um, more companies are looking maybe perhaps not to operate in the United States and looking at other places to maybe operate um, because there are other countries now that are trying to, to do that. But if your customer is going to primarily be the U.S. government, and that still is the, the major customer in this place, then you de- do need to, one, consider very strongly launching out of the U.S., so that means you need to figure out the, what the regulatory framework is. And then, two, understand what the customer concerns are, right? So, and who the customers are—is it Department of Defense? Is it uh, NGA? Is it Interior? Is it Transportation? And then be, and then based on that, balance the national security concerns, because you know Department of Defense will have those, with the benefits associated with this technology. And it's a tight, it's a tight line because um, you need to understand how the data is going to be used and what the implications are. And for understandable reasons, although frustrating, you don't always get a lot of insight into the Defense Department or, or NRO or others as to what their concerns are about your technology. So you need to, you need to sort of think about that a little bit. Certainly, um, you know, having a, a strong national security background is important, but I, think, I also think having a strong technical background and a, and a business background as well, because being able to counsel your businesses on how they're gonna make money. Because that's ultimately, if the VCs are going to invest, they're going to want to know how you're going to make money and how you're going to make it fairly quickly. And so you're going to want to be able to um, deal with that. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about here, and it's something that's you know, near and dear to my heart, but not just a national security standpoint, but licensing, the intellectual property issues associated with this, this imagery and how it's being used. You know, if you license it to NGA, can they transfer it to the Department of Defense? And that which cuts you off from a customer, right? You want to be able to sell it to the Department of Defense as well. So, understanding intellectual property rights, both from a from a government contract standpoint, but also from a commercial standpoint, and how you develop your licensing and what your intellectual property rights are in that, are going to be something that you need to be be familiar with, if you want to, you know, have them as a you know a holistic client, if you will.
2: Okay, and I would say if you want to figure out whether or not you're going to violate export controls, listen to our podcast on that topic, which is available on our website. Uh, And if you also have concerns about whether shipping to launch a satellite to Russia could violate sanctions, we have two podcasts on that. Anyway, I am really glad you came. Kevin, thank you so much. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating area. We wish you luck,
1: and I'm sure your clients are very fortunate to have your counsel.
3: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much again, Kevin. We're so glad you joined us today.
3: Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Tune in again in a week for our next episode.
2: So right now, if you're out there thinking about how much you want to practice law in a skiff where you have no access to the device you're using to listen to us right now, And you're smart enough to disable any and all location services on your smartphone until you
1: really need them. And you want to be the lawyer who looks out at the stars and imagines what laws can govern the activities up there to make us more secure and extend our constitutional rights through the stratosphere. Then join
2: us again next time for National Security Law Today, brought to you by the American Bar Association's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. We hope to see you at our next event
1: and we mean physically, because listening to a podcast is informative, but social networking isn't really networking.
0: Please show up at one of our breakfast, lunches, or conferences. Check us out at AmericanBar.org NatSecurity, or follow us on Twitter
2: at ABANATSAC. And you can find a great book on public-private partnerships to protect critical infrastructure on our website, too. And it will address many, many issues, some of which Kevin has raised today.
1: So from all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today.
0: Look for links to the black letter laws and articles mentioned on our show today in the notes or on our
2: website. You can also find us on Twitter at ABA